Well, good morning. Uh, I didn't do a very good job of letting everybody know this, but we actually start a new series today. Uh, and it's called Jesus, Who's He? It's about five weeks, and we're just going to talk about uh, important things to know about our Savior. Uh, and if He's not your Savior, important things to know about uh, the guy that they call Jesus. So we're going to get in and we're going to dive into that. Another thing I haven't done a very good job of, but I'm going to let you know, if you have the Bible app on your phone and you want to follow along, we do have a live event uh, that follows along, has the different scriptures in it, has a place where you can jot down some notes if you so choose. Uh, but let's get started, shall we? So, uh, again, we're going to be talking about Jesus for the next five weeks. Mark Twain is famously quoted, or I, I don't know famously quoted, but it has a quote. Uh, and this is what he said. He says, that love seemed the swiftest, but is the slowest of all gross. No man or woman really knows what perfect love is until they have been married a quarter of a century. See, I think Twain's point here is that good, strong relationships take a long time to build. Okay? It doesn't just happen instantaneously. It takes uh, a good amount of time. I don't know if the time I agree with is 25 years or whatever it may be, but um, I think that as people, we continually grow in relationships. We continue to get to know one another, what makes each other tick, uh, what makes each other angry, how we can improve relationships, and how we can avoid... Uh, hurting relationships, and, and relationships just take time. I would argue uh, that in order for a relationship to, to hit its peak, you must really know your partner in that relationship, okay? And th this goes for any relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a uh, working relationship, that it really takes getting to know someone to hit, to find your peak, to hit your peak. I would also argue that one of the most important decisions that we can make as human beings is whether or not we enter a relationship with Jesus. You may not feel that way. Uh, you may feel that way, but, but that's where I am as far as that stance goes. I think it's absolutely vital for us to know who Jesus is. That way, we can have the strongest possible relationship with the man that I call my Savior that we could possibly have. And the first thing that I think that any one of us needs to know about Jesus, the thing that makes a tremendous impact on our life, is that Jesus was 100% man. He was 100% man. And Jesus is kind of a conundrum because he was also 100% God. And we'll talk about that next week. But today we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus was 100% man. And, and, and I get it. 100% and 100% equals 200%. And, and I understand that, that can be confusing and conflicting. But Jesus being 100% man means a number of things for us. And we know that he was 100% man because John 1.14 tells us that the Word became flesh and it made his dwelling upon, among us. In Philippians 2.7-8, we're told that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The first part of it says, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus walked the earth like us. He bled like us, he felt like us, he cried like us, he struggled like us, he was tempted like we are, he got angry at times, and he went through the day-to-day -day grind. The fact that Jesus was fully man has several implications for us. The first thing that it implies for us, the first thing that Jesus being man does for us is that because he was human, Jesus can empathize with us. Because he was human, Jesus can empathize with us. Jesus experienced sorrow and extreme stress. In fact, in 2638, he said to them, and this is right before he's in the Garden of the Gethsemane, and, and, and he's, 
he's about to be taken to the cross, and I think that he knows this. He knows that the hour is near. He knows that this is about to take place, and he's just extremely troubled. So he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, have any of you guys been so upset in your life that you just thought, I don't know how I'm going to go on from this point. I don't know how I'm going to go on from this point. Like, this, what has happened right here, I just don't see moving past it. I can honestly say that I've been there four different times in life. The first time was, and we've talked about this, was the onset of clinical depression in my life. Okay, when it happened, I had no idea what was going on. I was extremely confused. I, I, I felt like I was dying. I even kind of wanted to die because I just wanted it to stop. Right? I just wanted that pain and the confusion and the frustration to end. The second time that this took place is when Jericho was pregnant with Cordelia. We were rushed to the hospital and the doctor made a statement. I don't know how either you or the baby are still alive and so we're taking the baby right now. And, and it was scary and, and Cordelia came out and she weighed three pounds and she spent a month in the intensive care and Jericho spent a week. And, and there was a period of time where it did not look good for either one of them. And I remember just thinking that if this, is, if this is where our journey together ends, I have no idea how I am going to get past it. And I was angry with God for a very long time. And there was a second time where Jarek and I were seeking to have another child, even after all that craziness. We had prayed about it for a long time, and we had made the decision to move on to do that, and we lost that baby. And again, I just felt like, what in the world is happening? How do I get past this? It was like hitting a brick wall at 100 miles an hour. You're flying, everything is good, and then all of a sudden it just stops. And you think to yourself, what's next? What's next? And then this final pregnancy, yeah, we tried again. Uh, Winifred came, and she was a miracle, but... There was a moment I was sitting at work. I still remember this. I was at my desk, and I got a call from their doctor, and they said, well, we, are you Paul Huff? And I said, yeah. And they said, Jerrica's your wife. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we've been trying to reach her, uh, but we can't. And uh, so we're calling you. We need her to go to the hospital right away. Well, everything had, up to that point, things were going good with the pregnancy. And so that was another time where it was like we're flying high, and then all of a sudden somebody shoots our plane out of the sky. We go to the hospital, and they say, well, we're going to take the baby. And it's like, okay, here we go again. At least we've kind of had some sort of experience with this before, and we got through it, and so made it a little easier. But all those thoughts of the previous times come flooding back into your mind, and you just think, man, if this, what, what in the world? Now, this is my personal experience, okay? Those are the four times in my life. And I perfectly understand that some of you may not be able to identify with those instances. Some of you can very well. Uh, some of you have other instances that I can't quite come to grasp with or touch that, that you have experienced in your life where you just say, I don't, I don't see what's next. I don't see what's next. Now, I always struggle to talk about my issues for two reasons. One, because I don't want to come off as weak or a crybaby or woe is me because everybody has issues, everybody struggles. The second thing I really don't want is for somebody to just assume that they know how I feel. Right? That's the worst. When, when, when you kind of are talking about something and somebody's like, I totally get it. And I try not to do that, but there are times where you as a person really feel like you can empathize with the situation. And, and let me tell you, that's not wrong to do. 
Okay, it's not wrong to try to put yourself in that person's shoes and to empathize with them and to try to explain with them that you have a similar situation. And then I also struggle with empathizing with others when they have terrible things going on in their life because I don't want them to ever feel like I'm degrading that situation or belittling it or, or not, not seeing it as a big enough situation, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to do anything to be detrimental to that relationship and make them think that I'm the one assuming that they, I know how they feel. But the, the thing about Jesus... The thing about Jesus is that Jesus came and he decided to walk this earth. And he decided to take on everything that we are. We serve a God, we serve a Jesus who left a kingdom, who left a throne to be like us, to experience the human condition. So that he could truly get to know what it's like to have those moments and have those experiences and those times where he just felt like there's nothing else to do but die. Where he saw no hope. Where his heart and his soul were just burdened. See, one of the things I don't think Jesus gets enough credit for is the fact that he was human. And even in the garden, he even prayed. He said, God, if there's another way, if there's another way, but then he goes on to say, not my will, but your will. And we're going to talk about that too. The second thing that Jesus being human does for us is that because he was human, Jesus knows what it's like to not have all the answers, but still submit to the will of God. Now this was one of the things this week that when I was studying, this was like a new revelation for me. Okay, this was a new revelation for me. Because I think those of us who have grown up in church or been around church, we take for granted the fact that Jesus was human. Like it's something that we hear, it's something that we hear, but we always in the back of our mind have the fact that he was the son of God sitting there, right? And that Jesus himself was God. And so we make the assumption that like, mm, it was just kind of easy for him. In Mark 13, 32, it says, but about that day, and this is talking about the return, it says about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Wolford and Zuck of Dallas Theological Seminary, the two theologians that worked there, and this is what they said. They said that this statement, this specific verse, it openly expresses the limitation of Jesus' knowledge, and it confirms in doing so his humanity. It confirms in doing so his humanity. Jesus took on a limitation to be like us. As I previously said, Jesus is a bit of conundrum because he, he's He's two things. He's 100% human. He's 100% God. He's got a human mind and he's got a godly mind. And it's like at times those things are both sitting there and, and we have to understand that they didn't cross. They didn't cross. Jesus being 100% human means that his knowledge was both infinite at times and finite at others. We see something here in Scripture where Jesus did not have the answer. He did not know. To me, this is remarkable. Like, this was a remarkable thing for me to finally grasp this. Why I haven't grasped it throughout my entire life, but to be honest, I don't know. But to finally grasp that Jesus in himself was just 100% human, and so he really did face all the limitations that we have, Right? I always assumed Jesus lived a sinful life, a sinless life. Not sinful. Scratch that from the recording. 
Jesus lived a sinless life because he was the son of God. So of course he did. Right? Of course he did. Because God said that this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and he gave Jesus the same authority that he had on earth. And so I just assume, well, of course, Jesus was able to follow God because he's Jesus. But when we take into account the fact that he truly did experience all the same limitations that we have, that he was tempted every bit as much as that we are tempted. The fact that he got tired, the fact that he got angry, the fact that he openly wept, the fact that he felt sorrow to the point of death, to where he thought, man, if there's another way to do this, God, let's do this. But still, your will, not my will. Jesus truly experienced all these limitations, and yet he followed God's will because he chose to. He followed, he followed God's will because he chose to. And because he did that, it's like we have a partner in crime in our life. I think that all of us would say that our goal would be to daily follow the will of Jesus, right? To daily follow the will of God. To live our life the way that God wants us to live. And I think that if we're all honest, we would also say we don't always get there. If you don't want to say, I'll be the first one to say it up on stage with the microphone and on recording. I do not always follow the will of God in my life. I wish that that was not true. I wish that 100% of the time I did exactly what I felt like God was leading me to do. 100% of the time, all the time, every time. But I just don't. And I, I got extremely convicted this week because you know what? It's, it's will. It's a choice. It's a choice. Jesus lived with the exact same limitations that I have and in every instant chose not to sin. In every instant, he chose to follow the will of God. And that's a remarkable thing. For the same Jesus who can put himself in our shoes to understand that struggle, to know what that's like, it always means more to receive help from someone who's been in the same position that you have found yourself. At least I feel that way. Right? Like, I wouldn't teach anybody in here what they need to do to run a marathon. Because I do not run. Okay? It just, it, it's not something that happens. If I run, you better run too, because I'm in danger. Which means you're in danger. Okay? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that on anybody else and say, well, you want to run a marathon, you need to listen to everything that I have to say. Right? But, but Jessica Souza, she's, she's, I know she's run a half, right? Has she ever run a full? No. But still, she's run a half. That's 13.1 miles. That's insanity. Okay? I haven't told that to her. When I see her next, I'll let her know. 13.1 miles is insanity. Like anybody who says, I'm going to run 13.1 miles today, you got a little crazy in you. And I can respect that. Like, I can respect that. If she was the one to say, oh, you, you know, you want to run a marathon, you want to run a half marathon, well, this is the steps that it took me to do. You're a lot more likely to listen to her than you are to listen to big tub tubs up here. <laughs> All right, let's just be honest. Like, if you have a choice of coach, when you say, I want to run a marathon, I've got Jessica, I've got Paul. If you pick me, you're a dummy. 
Okay? We serve a Jesus who chose to come out of heaven, who chose to say, I am sitting on a throne right now, living in glory, and I'm going to come down and I'm going to be part of the human condition to experience everything that they experience because one day they're going to need my help. And Jesus is there to help us. Every step of the way, when we need somebody to lean on, Jesus is always there. Always there. I find that absolutely 100% remarkable. John Calvin said it best. He stated that Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. He took on everything that we are. In Mark 14, 36, we previously mentioned this. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. See, everything we have, I think, at life sometimes is a battle of will. It's what we want versus what God wants. Sometimes those things easily align, and that's fantastic, right? And it's like, man, me and God are in sync right now. We're meshing up, and everything I want to do, God wants to do, and this is going great. Other times, that's not the case, and it's a bit of a struggle, and it comes down to a choice. Do I do what God's calling me to do, or do I not? And when we don't, that's called sin. And I just find it amazing that Jesus... A man who, who experienced anger, a man who experienced grief, a man who, when we think about when his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, died in John 11, it tells us in 11.35, Jesus wept, right? It's one of the first memory verses that kids learn because it's two words and they just like to throw it out there. But it tells us that even knowing, even knowing that he could revive his friend from, from, from death, which he did, even knowing that, Jesus wept. Not just at the fact that his friend died, but at the effect that it had on those around his friend. On Mary, his sister, who came to him weeping, who said, if you had been here, he would not have died. Jesus loved us so much that he wanted to, to live the life that we live. To show us the way. To show us the way. Because Jesus was human, he knows what it's like to deny himself. As we just talked about, Jesus had a human will. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now how many of us can say that we daily serve the will of God? Right? All day, every day, we're just doing what it is that God would like us to do. But the beauty of Christianity is that we serve a Jesus that chose to experience the same struggle that we have. And in doing so, he did two things. The first thing he did, he took any excuse away from us, right? We can't now say, well, you don't know what it was like. Because he knows exactly what it was like. One thing that has not changed in the thousands of years that we have been in existence or however long you want to say, is the human condition. Right? Things, technology has changed and, and different things like that have changed, but the human condition remains the same. We still desire relationship. We still struggle with the same things, with jealousy and lust and hatred. and We still covet things that other people have. We still also seek joy and love and togetherness. Those things have not changed. 
And Jesus knows exactly what it is that you go through on a day-to-day basis. He does. He gets it. I find that remarkable. Christianity is the only religion where the figurehead, where God the Son chose to live like those He created. It's the only one. He chose to know exactly what it was like to be us. Think about yourself for a minute. Just, just think about everything. Think about yourself in traffic. Just all times. And understand that Jesus, while he never got in a traffic jam, maybe mule carts got backed up or something. But in all that, he still never sinned just never took place. In doing all of these things, Jesus set himself up as the bridge between us and God. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and that man is Christ Jesus. When I was growing up, I used to have my typical Sunday school answer because I didn't pay attention that often. Uh, but I really thought it was like a deep philosophical answer. Floyd, you'll appreciate this. And anytime anybody asked me a question, I wasn't paying attention to give a real answer. I would just tell them that, hey, just so you know, Jesus is a filter. Laura, you're seeing it. Jesus is a filter. Now I want you to picture coffee filter, right? I want you to picture the grounds of all of our sin and the pot as being with God. That filter keeps all the sin out and allows us to be in the presence, to be the coffee in God's pot, to be in the presence of God. Jesus is a filter. And through him, God sees us as perfect. As perfect? As perfect. I was going to say perfection, and I don't know what happened. But through Jesus, God sees us and he sees perfection despite all of our flaws. Jesus chose to be like us. He took our body. He took our weakness. He took our will. He chose to be like us in every single way and yet he never sinned. And in doing so, he took the only perfect human body in all of history and he allowed it to be destroyed on a cross. So that you and I, in our imperfect bodies, could one day experience that perfection. I think that's a marvelous thing. I think that that's a wonderful thing. And I know that that does not take place if Jesus is not 100% man. We serve a Savior who loved us enough to be like us. Who loved us enough to enter the worldly struggle. And he defeated that so that we can defeat it as well. And that is an extremely important and special thing. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you sent your son. I thank you for the fact that your son came willingly. I thank you that you, Jesus, said, I want to be like you. I want to understand what it's like to live in the day-to-day struggle. I want to understand what it's like 
to be tempted, even to be tempted by Satan himself like you were. You understand what it's like to experience sorrow. You understand what it's like to weep. You understand what it's like to be murdered, to have your body crushed, to feel like there is no hope. And you did all of that out of love for us. And I don't know if there's ever any thank you that can ever adequately say what that means to us as human beings. Because the fact is, because you did that, God, all the times in life where I felt like I was maybe alone, the truth is I never was. Because Jesus was there. In life, Jesus is overjoyed at our successes and he weeps with us when we feel like we can't go on. Help us to be people who reflect that character, who are there for others when they need us. Who make it abundantly clear that no matter what, no matter when, if you need me, I'm available. Help us to be a church that sympathizes and empathizes with others. Help us to be people who love God and to seek your will first. Help us to be Christians who don't forget that we have a Savior who not only chose to be like us, but wants to help us on our journey along the way. God, give us strength, give us wisdom, give us courage to be the people that you want us to be. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.